Welcome to the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm Danny V, podcast host and children's author. I also do some work in publishing in acquisitions and publicity. As we hurdle towards one million plays, we'll continue to provide you with the conversational, vulnerable, honest and fun chats with your favourite authors across all genres. Check out our takeover episodes, usually released on a Friday, and our spin-offs released during the month. Thank you for being here, being part of the journey, and supporting Aussie Creatives. Welcome to the Words and Nerds podcast, where we bring literary goodness straight to your ears. Today, I welcome a return guest, Vanessa McCausland, who is author of The Valley of Lost Stories, The Lost Summers of Driftwood, The Beautiful Words, and the novel we're going to be talking about today, Dreaming in French. Welcome back, Vanessa. I know you've got your elevator pitch all ready to go. Thanks, Danny. Thanks for having me. <laughs> it's lovely to talk to you again, um, you know, and to kind of, I like watching people's journeys as an author, you know, your fourth book in. So we'll talk a bit about that as well. But first of all, do give us your perfected elevator pitch on Dreaming in French, no pressure, of course. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, the elevator pitch. Um, so um, Saskia Weil um, is living in Sydney with her family when she receives a letter from a French solicitor um, informing her that she's inherited half of this villa on a tiny island on the southwest coast of France called Ile de Ré. Um, And she returns to this island and it's where she spent a summer as a 19-year-old au pair. Um, And it's here that she met um, Simone Durant, a French heiress, and Felix Allard, a salt worker. Um, and Simone has also left her a manuscript um, written in French. She's, sorry, she's she's left half of this villa to Saskia and the other half to Felix, um, and she's left a manuscript written in French, which um, Saskia sort of needs to translate in order to understand why Simone has drawn her back to this island um, that she's sort of been repressing um, and running from for 26 years mm. um, and it's said partly in the present as Saskia returns to the island with her family um, and partly in the past um, as we see Simone, Saskia and Felix during this summer in the 90s and sort of their connection but Saskia has to work out what really happened in the past in order to save what's most precious to her in the present. Wow, there's a lot going on there, Vanessa, but what really <laughs> stood out to me is I would really like to get that letter in the mail that someone's left me, this incredible yeah, be nice. <laughs> in France. So here's hoping. Um, no, what I really liked about the novel was all those different threads, you know, because there's a complexity to it in terms of going back to the past and going, you know, seeing them in the present and trying to unravel um, you know, the, the mystery, which is in most ways, in some ways, the manuscript in French and trying mm. to unravel, you know, the last 26 years. How did you balance moving back and forth from past to present and unraveling the mystery of the manuscript, yeah. all of those threads? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think I sort of just started off writing it um, in Saskia's perspective and the first couple of chapters are, um, with her but then I sort of with all my books I always have a past thread and it's kind of become my thing that I do and 
with the Simon chapters, because we're in Simon, the French heiress's head, they they sort of came in around chapter four just naturally. Um, I just sort of was like, okay, I think I think she has a voice here, and then I just started writing her and. She came out. Um, she came out really sort of clearly and strongly, which is sometimes what happens with characters. And you're like, okay, so she's going to be a major part of this story. And in the end, it ends up that half the story is hers because half of it's in the present. The other half, every single chapter has le passé, which is the past in Simone's voice um, way back in the nineties. Um, so it was kind of quite an organic process I guess it just felt like she was the other main character in this story um and I guess yeah she it just felt like she was the one I wanted to tell it through rather Mm. than Felix who's a much more enigmatic kind of character Mm. um yeah that's really interesting because I'm assuming you had some idea of the remote French island and the crumbling villa um, you've got the reclusive film star and inheritance. So I, I take it you may have had sort of all those elements and then you sort of wrote your way into it in that organic pantsing kind of way. Yeah, um, I do tend to pants. Um, yeah, I mean, I had the setting, um, but I I didn't have a lot more and I knew that Simone had lost her parents and that she was returning to this island, but I... I, it was took me a while to figure out what her sort of um I guess what her what she wanted out of the story um and sometimes when you're pantsing it does take a while to get to know your characters and get to know why you know what their purpose is um and so it can feel a little bit a little bit like flailing around kind of figuring out um where to find the tension in the story you know to compel things forward um and I think that's that's quite a tight rope you've got to play at the beginning of the book because you you don't want to lose people while you're setting things up and in a way when you're pantsing you're setting it up for yourself so (laughs) yeah it can be hard in the edits I often go back and I go oh my god the that character was so nebulous like they don't that's not what they would do I hadn't they hadn't fully formed and so then you go back with the knowledge that you have at the end of the book when you know the character so well and you sort of tweak the beginning. I imagine that would be sort of similar anyway even if you did plan because you do get to know your characters much better towards the end so you may have to go back and you always got to go back into that foreshadowing don't you? Yeah, yes, the foreshadowing, absolutely. Um, Yeah, so I think even plotters would have to do a lot of work on that kind of thing. But, I mean, I do think some writers, they maybe do like a full storyboard for each character. They know, you know, like I know some people interview their characters um, and they, you know, ask them what, you know, where they went to school, their first love, you know, their teddy that they had, everything, what they drink, you know, eat for breakfast I don't do any of that it's more just sort of like oh well you know of course Simone would drink expensive French champagne you know like Mm. it just kind of suits that character um but it does mean it's a process of discovery Mm. as you're going through I'm always very envious of those people with those very organized post-it notes that have what's going to happen in the scene color-coded for each character I mean that's the dream right but now that I've actually started Um, writing 
it's like that doesn't happen for me either I just have to write and see what happens otherwise I get bored anyway. same <laughs> so you wrote your pants as well yeah I had no idea I thought I was always going to be a planner and every time I planned I got mm. bored and couldn't finish the story so um that's yeah, in kids that's, that's in what, children's that's literature yeah um I mm. feel like you know when I'm dabbling in crime a bit not that I've had anything sort of worthwhile talking about in that space but I think crime might be different you might have to plan a bit more for that I don't know I'll let you know if I ever figure that out <laughs> <laughs> so talking about your characters I mean obviously they have to have very different voices and you're discovering them as you go through how do you make sure that as you're discovering them they also sound very different from each other yeah um I think that that voice is something that at the beginning you're really trying to figure out um and I don't feel like I can really keep keep going with a book until I have the voice done. So with this book, um, Saskia's voice in, is in the first person um, and I hadn't written first person before, um, which was a little intimidating, but I wanted to try something new. But more than that, when I wrote her in third person, it just didn't, it wasn't right. And so then I tried first and I'm like, yes, that's it. And so then I had, well, how do I write Simone? She's talking about the past, um, but in, initially I had her in the first person and that didn't work. It just wasn't the right feel and I put her in third person and it worked and I'm like, okay, that's how we're going to go. <laughs> I don't know if you have that, but it's it's like something about the voice either doesn't work or does work and then you just follow that Mm, um, yeah and it's frustrating because you want the voice to work because you want to progress with the story but the story mm, can only progress once you get the voice right that's right it's so true it's so true um and, and you it's can very, spend a lot of time um, yeah you spend a lot of time trying to develop that voice but once you do I think you can progress very fast but once you yeah until you do I feel like you're treading water yeah that's I completely agree with that um and I had a lot of trouble with trying to, I guess, instead of just following the instinct, which was Saskia first person, someone third person, I was trying to struggle to make them the same. And then I was just like, then I gave in and just let the story do its thing, you know? Yeah, because you never know, too, when it comes back from an editor or a publisher, they're going to question the, why have you got a first person and a third person or should you have done it this way? Like you yeah. start you start doubting yourself because you try all these different things and you don't, I don't even know what to do anymore. So it's, you know, it's good that you followed, followed that instinct and went with it and it obviously worked. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was a relief because um, I wasn't sure. Um, and I think, um, I think it was uh, Mickey Brummer. I heard her talk about her book, um, The Regrets, The Last Regrets of Clover, I think it's called. Beautiful book. Um, she wrote the whole thing in third person and then the editor came back and said, no, this needs to be in first person. So then she redid the entire manuscript and I think I think that would be really hard. Yeah, that's a complete um, rewrite, isn't it? Yeah, it is because it, it's not just changing to I. No. You know, no. There's it's it's quite a different sort of feel and you know what the character notices mm. um, yeah it's a different it's more immersive in first person I think 
Yeah, I agree. Isn't that interesting? And you never know. I never know which which way to go. So it's interesting when you write something, you know, an entire manuscript in third or first, and you get asked to flip it. So, but you know, that's oh yeah, that's what they're there for. They know what they're doing. And usually, when you do follow the advice, you're like, mm, yeah, it does sound better. How did I not pick that up? <laughs> yeah. Now, so in France on a remote island, is France a place that is close to your heart that you visited that you had to go for research? Tell me about France. <laughs> um, well, I wrote it during the latter part of COVID, so I couldn't go there very tragically. It really was dreaming about France. It was. It was exactly dreaming. Absolutely. Um, but I I lived on Ile de Ré as a 19-year-old myself. So it was pulling on, um, you know, I lived there for six months and I knew the island really well. So even though I hadn't been for many, many years, I I kind of had it, I don't know, it was sort of in my, you know, long-term memory. started researching it online and all there on the tip of my sort of yeah, imagination. Um, but I, yeah, it was also a bit of a, I think I was desperate to travel as well because it was sort of the tone of it is very, um, yeah, it's sort of just dreaming of, of the freedom that you have in travel, particularly when you go at 19 to the other side of the world. So, um, you know, when I was 19, there weren't mobile phones were just starting to come in I didn't have one there was no no email there wasn't even cafe email and phone calls cost an absolute bomb so I just jumped on a plane at 19 and went to this tiny island in France and thinking about that now when I've got a 13 year old daughter I'm like I would just be horrified if she (laughs) wanted to do that um so I think I just really wanted to explore, you know, that bravery that you have in youth. Um, and and in a way, Saskia is, she's middle-aged, but she's very stuck in her life. And so it's almost like she is revisiting a part of herself that she's lost, which is a very brave kind of, yeah, amazing person. Mm. Um, so... Yes, I, I am definitely a Francophile <laughs> and I was definitely dreaming of going there. And I, I did go back to Alliance Francaise, the um the French uh uh language place in Sydney and I did sort of online course with them for six months to refresh my language. And there's quite a lot of French language in the book, um, which was me sort of diving back into you know, I used to be fluent, but I'm not anymore. Um, and there's a lot in the book as well about sort of language and how you're one person in your native language, but then you're a different person when you're not, you're speaking another language. And I wanted to explore that as well. Um, and how Saskia, Saskia sort of goes back there and the language just starts to come back to her, which is actually what happens. And it's, it's sort of really beautiful and amazing. Your brain kind of gets there and then it just clicks back in and you're like, okay. And then you sort of see this other part to yourself as well because you are a bit different when you speak a different language. Um, so that was something I wanted to explore as well. Mm, I like that. What I really 
thought was interesting and you know is only true for some of us now is that life without technology and phones and wi-fi and then you know Mm. the other part of our life with all of that stuff because like you said you know you expect that if your your child at 19 went over there you'd be messaging them and phoning them every day or emailing them or you know most days yeah um and so it's interesting. like and tracking them yeah, yeah tracking device for sure but it's interesting yeah. that we've experienced both worlds and our kids will only ever experience one world but there was such a freedom when you just went out absolutely and i remember my mum would get me to call her on a payphone, <laughs> put 50 yeah, cents in the payphone. and so it was yep. just a different time of the world wasn't it absolutely i know it was just so so different in there was freedom in it way. wasn't there yeah there was a yeah there was freedom. so much freedom and but now like i get panicked if i don't know where my phone is same but then same. i have to remind myself i went to europe by myself <laughs> as a teenager like it's one of I those things home. you'll go back to get right you'll forget mostly anything else because now you've even got you know your cards on your phone so you can actually go and pay for something so if you left your wallet at home yeah. you'd be like oh whatever I think you'd, you'd probably leave your shoes at home before you left your phone at home. <laughs> you would. Absolutely. How insane is that? <laughs> That's very funny. It's, yeah. Now, four novels in, I want to know, has your writing process changed at all? We know you're a pantser, but is there anything that's shifted or anything that you've learnt um, over the four novels? Yeah, that's a good question too. Um, I think that it's probably... Oh, in a way it's to trust the process so when you do the first book you're just like oh god will this work and you know oh the second book that this might be a fluke I don't know but then when you get to the fourth and I mean I've finished the fifth book too now um it's in edits it's kind of like okay this is really hard I'm not coping at all I feel like just throwing this in the bin, but this is all part of the process. Um, Like with Dreaming in French, I gave up on this book completely um, about a third of the way through. I was like, this is not working. Who am I to write about French and write in French? I just, I'm Australian, I can't do this. Um, And I remember actually just thinking it's done, I'm walking away. And I think I left it for a couple of months. And I was so sad. I was just really depressed because I've never done that with a book. I've never abandoned it. Um, And then it just kept bugging me and I just kept, I I think I got to a hard bit and I just couldn't, I thought I couldn't find a way through. And then finally I was like, oh, okay, I'll just, I'll see if I can make something happen. And I just started a new scene and just tried. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to keep trying with this and in the end it kind of came together um and so then that's a massive thing that I've learned that if I had I just given up on that the book never would have been born um and so every book sort of I think teaches you something in a way that was this book's lesson um and yeah so that's a big one that it's all it's all part of it, um, I think. I mean, look, mm-hmm. I do think there are some, there might be a book in my future where 
you know, it just isn't working because sometimes that happens. Um, but I think I know that it's it, the uphill battle is all part of it. Um, and also the other thing I've learned, and I've discussed this with other authors and other authors have agreed that they have had this, that it has gone for me that it's like hard, easy, hard, easy. It's like a roller coaster of books. So the first one was easy. The second one was hard. The third one was easy. Dreaming in French was hard. And wow. then the one I just finished was easy. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. There's a pattern. I mean, I use I use easy yeah, very yeah, loosely. loosely there. Yeah, just not impossible. But, so hard, know. impossible, hard, impossible. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I don't know yeah. what that's about. Yeah, I, maybe <laughs> because the one you just did seems so impossible that even though the next one's hard, it feels easier. I don't know. Maybe it's about perception. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't give up on, I didn't have to give up on the one that I've just finished. So but I like that. You know, I like that, that because improved. yeah, I think we all get to a point, whether it's at the beginning or the end of the middle where you think this isn't working. I, what am I even doing writing? Like, you know, you said, what yeah. am I doing writing in French? You yeah. know, there are, there are people who are much more talented than me and you get stuck in this kind of, you know, never-ending cycle and then I like that you just went no no I'm going to go back and see what I can do and I think sometimes when you take the pressure off yourself a little bit um you know that helps so yeah I think it's about that yeah Yeah, absolutely (laughs) now um I have asked you this question before but just to wrap up why do you keep writing um I think the reason I keep writing is a it somehow keeps me sane um I think I think it's an outlet for me and it's the way that I process the world and experience. I'm a very sensitive person and I think it's a way to channel that, yeah. um, firstly. And secondly, I think because whenever someone sends me an email or a text message about the book saying how much they loved it or that it resonated with them, I that's... To me, that's enough reason, you know, mm. just that connection that you have with readers. Yeah, it's absolutely. actually, it's so extraordinary. It so extraordinary, yeah. I love that. Well, thank you. I love speaking to you all the time, Vanessa. I know we were chatting about the time we caught up. It was too long ago now. <laughs> I don't know what's like happened in between. We've gotten busy. But I was so glad to speak to you again and speak to you about Dreaming in French. It really is a beautiful book and really does thank make you. you dream and long for travel so amongst other things. So thank you so thank much you, Danny. Um, for your time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs>